Um, at this time, I think uh, we can let the kids go. And I'd like to invite um, Nate Johnson. Where's Nate? M- Nate, I would like to invite you up uh, so we can have a little chat. Uh, we have a special visit today. Um, one of our missionaries, a longtime missionary, Nate Johnson, is uh, in town uh, with Cadence International. Uh, Nate, can you uh, tell us what Cadence is? Sure. Uh, so Cadence International, uh, military people are a people. Um, military, they have their own culture. They have their own language. They speak acronym. Uh, they have their own dialect between whether you're Navy, Air Force, Army, Marine, Coast Guard, Space Force, uh, whatever. <laughs> and uh, how long have you been with Cadence, and where have you been with your family? Well, uh, is there a picture? Okay, introduce your family really quick. They're yeah. not here, but yeah. Uh, so my wife, Louise, uh, immediately to my right, and then our son, Josh, and then Krista in the middle, Ellie to her right, and then Kara at the far right. This year is our big year for birthdays. We go 13, 16, 18, 21 this year. Yes. That's hard to plan. <laughs> That's hard to plan. Okay. Uh, so uh, tell us how long you've been with Cadence and where have you been uh, in your ministry? So we've been with Cadence for 23 years. And we, because we serve military people, we have been um, where those military people are. And uh, they're all over the world. And so we started off first in Wiesbaden, Germany. And we worked with army families for five years there. And then we went to Yokosuka, Japan. And we worked with Navy families there for three years. And then they asked us, hey, would you go back and lead the Europe field for all the student ministries? So we uh, said yes to that, which meant moving back to Germany and uh, the K-Town Ramstein area. Uh, We went to Rota, Spain, working with Navy and and Air Force families. Then we moved to Travis Air Force Base uh, in between Sacramento and San Francisco. And we were there for four years. And then just most recently, we moved to Denver, Colorado, because that's where our Cadence's headquarters is at. And, and, it's, and you got a promotion. What's, what's the new job here? We, we did. Uh, they asked us to step back into field ministry, uh, field leadership. Uh, so we will oversee all of the ministries that Cadence has in the, uh, in the West, what it's called the West PAC. Uh, everything in Alaska, Hawaii, California, Washington, and Idaho uh, will be overseeing those different ministries. And uh, what would you say, like, I mean, just you got so many years of ministry, like just what, what have you seen? What, what have you been able to, to do? How have you seen God um, work with um, military people, like any stories or anything like that? You know, I think the thing that initially drew me into Cadence uh, was, um, so I did an internship in 1997, which is actually where I met my wife um, that summer. I, I fell in love with my wife. I fell in love with military ministry. Um, and the reason that I was so drawn to it was the reality that God brings all of these military people from all over the United States to a location. And at that, loca- at, at that location, we have the opportunity to share the gospel, to see them uh, grow and mature in, in learning what it is to, fo- to follow Christ, and then to be released to... Um, to do ministry as well. And so watching God bring people from all over, um, experience the gospel, and then go out and share the gospel all across both the, the U.S. and the world. And so right now in Saudi Arabia, one of, uh, one of the people that was um, really one of the guys that was really instrumental in our ministry at Travis, you know, he just deployed there. And as he deployed, he was like, how can God use me? for my six months while I'm here in Saudi Arabia. 
And, and, and for me going, I have the opportunity to see God move in all these different places. We, you know, we, we I think over the, the 20, the 23 years we've been with Keynes, we've had somewhere between 15 and 20 interns of whom half are, you know, still in full, uh, are in full-time ministry, um, either, you know, missionaries with Cadence or another organization, uh, multiply that times two for all of our volunteers that are now in ministry because they were, you know, they were soldier, they were an airman, they were a sailor and said, oh, wait, I, you know, I, God can use me in ministry. And then again, times two of all those people that were either students or that were just a participant in ministry to see God use them. That for me was so strategic and, and, and recognizing that they, they've already been willing to move somewhere else so God can use them again in a new place, whether it's, you know, another state or another country. Um, so that was really significant for me. And uh, how's it been? I mean, you know, you guys have moved so much, um, obviously, uh, being in foreign cultures and at the same time on a military base, essentially, like how has that impacted you as a family and kind of the way that you see Christianity, the world, stuff like that? Um, you know, I'd say right now, I'd, I'd love to give like a, Hey, it's been great. <laughs> um, right now it's mostly a mess in my house because of that. <laughs> um, my wife grew up as a military kid. So we jokingly have said we're serving with her home church. Um, and she has known transition for 30 plus years of her life. And, um, you know, transition, anytime we, we move, you know, there's, there's gains and losses, right? There's things that are good and things that are bad. Um, right now for our family, our, our kids just really miss the airmen that they've loved mm. and connected with. They, my wife, you know, they're like our kids because they were 18 to 23, most of them. And so they literally are like my kids since my daughter's 21. Um, and, and so in the midst of that, right now, that looks like a lot of grief and mourning. Um, there are times that it's absolutely beautiful because there's, you know, all over the country, I'm like, oh, pick a state. Uh, there's someone that we know that's there because of time. And our connection is so deep because of, of just living in that culture, that cross-cultural environment of as we share the gospel and as we love them, as they become part of our, our life and that, that, that growing together in, in, in studying scripture and, and all those things, you know, as you, as you pull apart, there's some tearing that, that comes with that. And so I'd love to say it's really great, but that's my honest answer right now. Well, Nate, um, I'm going to pray for you. Uh, is there, is there anything specifically that you're looking for that you need? Um, cause I'm going to pray right now. We're going to commit to having you on our, as one of our missionaries and, and loving you from afar as best we can. Um, you know, we really do. Uh, we are so blessed by a partnership. You know, we get to, we are an extension of you. You are an extension of us. And so as we are in partnership together, it really means a lot to have you pray for us. Um, that really is significant for us, but it's also really encouraging to hear what God is doing in your midst. And so, um, I really am thankful for, for Colleen and sending out, um, the various prayer requests. That means that we get to pray for you as well. And, um, and we really would, we'd, we'd ask you to just continue to pray with us. We're, um, we're on what's called home assignment for cadence furlough for any other missions organization. And, and so we have a few more months before we will start our new role over all of the different uh, Western states. Um, and, and so with that comes some, some fundraising. So you can be praying for us in the midst of that. 
And um, certainly, if you are interested in, in knowing more about about ministry, I'd love to get you connected with our updates and and just to hear uh, to put a name with a face. And so, yeah. well, I would just invite you after the service, uh, seek this guy out. Um, I, hopefully you, maybe you've got some stuff at the community, uh, life table, um, so that you can learn a little bit more about his ministry and get to know a really awesome dude. Let me uh, pray for you, man. You. Gracious God and father, thank you for Nate. Thank you for the Johnsons. Um, thank you for so many years of faithful service all over the world. And we pray now, especially God, for um, their family as they're transitioning, um, experiencing the loss of relationships and friendships, and really preparing for a whole new way of doing life together. We thank you for the many um, service people that they've impacted, and we pray that they continue to go out um, as lights uh, for you in a culture that can be uh, very violent um, and uh, very confusing. Go with Nate now. Uh, be with his, his family. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, brother. So Germany, I've heard, is that a thing? Oh. Not, not there, though. Different. Okay, so John and Sarah. John's uh, he's a, he's a marine, and it looks like uh, he's it looks like the family's going abroad, and we are not happy about that. Um, I'm not happy about that because you're awesome, but uh, maybe you can get some advice from this guy. I don't know. Um, we're starting a new series today. It's uh, it's called um, God uh, wants you to be holy, uh, not happy. Um, and, and it's, it's important because we live in a culture, in fact, our country, right, is based on the idea that we have life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? That's like the thing. In fact, uh, later in his life, um, Thomas Jefferson, who wrote Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Happiness in the Declaration, he was asked, you know, why did you add happiness, pursuit of happiness? And he said, it's an expression of the American mind to pursue, to go after what makes you happy. It's a unique characteristic of Americans, specifically, to think that life is about being happy. Uh, so how are we doing? How are we doing on our quest for happiness? Well, I have some, uh, some, some interesting news on that front. Uh, right now, uh, at the, the very, it's since the year 2000, um, I, uh, it's the number of people who say that they're unhappy. Uh, next slide, Marilyn. Uh, the number of people who say that they are unhappy has risen from 10 to 24%. Uh, it's the highest on record. These are people, so literally a quarter of Americans now say that they're just, life is bad. Um, and it's on the other end too. Uh, we used to be happier. So the number of Americans who, who said that they were happy, um, has dropped. So it was 34%. Now it's 19%. Only 19% of Americans say they're happy <laughs> in life. Um, that's, that's pretty rough. And if that translates to this community, that means there's a whole lot of people here. One in five of you, um, are, are, are happy and, and a quarter of you aren't. Pretty wild. Uh, marriage, marriage has um, changed since the year 2000. Uh, we've lost, uh, dropped marriage rates 38%. Um, that's important for happiness because um, 
the institutions that create meaning and happiness, when they're, are, when they're abandoned, uh, happiness tends to go up, or unhappiness tends to go up. And so the unmarried tend to be much un- more unhappy than the married, interestingly enough. Uh, number four, uh, n- uh, 1990, the percentage of people with no close friends has risen from 3% to 12%. Uh, we have we have data on not just um, no close friends, but like one close friend, two close friends, three close friends, four, and across the board, it's just been plummeting. Um, and now, twelve percent of people say they have no one they're close to. Uh, number five, only seventeen percent of Americans are are satisfied with the direction of the country, the lowest on record. By every quantifiable metric, happiness is being lost in this country, in this culture. Um, and there's a question, you know, why is that? And, and there's, there's also the question of like, is that, is that a good thing? Is God, what does God think about that? Like, happen, does God want you to be happy? Um, Benjamin Franklin famously said, uh, beer is proof that God loves you and wants you to be happy. Your mileage may vary, but that was his opinion. Um, and I think, uh, I think, I think we can actually begin to see where the culture, like symbolically, where the culture started getting away from happiness. And I asked you to go on a journey with me here because um, we're going to get back to happiness, but we, we, we're going to have to go through holiness to get there. And so uh, here's the Ten Commandments. So, you know, the, the, the thou shalt not have other gods before me. Um, thou shalt uh, not make graven images, no idols. It goes on and on. In 1980, the Supreme Court ruled that a Kentucky law that uh, required the Ten Commandments to be displayed in government buildings was unconstitutional. They said that uh, you can't have a law that does that. And one of the reasons reasons for this is that um, any displays had to have a, quote, uh, secular purpose. They had to um, encourage or, or, or develop secular good values. Okay, and clearly the the Ten Commandments aren't secular because they're talking about God at the beginning, um, and so as a result, as a result, that was struck down, um, and so the the law was was erased. But still, many courthouses had uh, displays of the Ten Commandments. In two thousand three and two thousand five, uh, the Supreme Court went further and and more restricted the availability of the Ten Commandments to be um, displayed in government properties. It's still possible, but it's becoming harder and harder and harder because the court is ruling that's a violation of the uh, Establishment Clause clause of the Constitution that um, there's a separation between church and state, that the, the state can't endorse one faith over another, right? And so by displaying the, the Ten Commandments, we're endorsing Judaism, uh, Protestantism, Catholicism, and Orthodoxy over all the other uh, religions, why is this important? Well, symbolically, what, what, what's happening is there, all the way up until 1980, it was sort of understood that America was going to be a Christian nation or, you know, follow the Judeo-Christian, you know, code. And as part of that, we had the Ten Commandments as our heritage. And I believe that getting away from the Ten Commandments is directly responsible for the death of happiness in this country. I want to show you why. 
So let's first, uh, the Bible does, uh, the Bible actually talks about the Ten Commandments several times, um, not just displaying the Ten Commandments, but talking about them. And so uh, Moses says in Deuteronomy 4, he, uh, God declared to you his covenant, the Ten Commandments, which he commanded you to follow, and wrote them on two stone tablets. Um, Exodus 34, Moses was there with the Lord 40 days, 40 nights without eating bread or drinking water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the com- covenant, the Ten Commandments. The problem with this is this is a terrible translation from the Hebrew and even the Greek. In the Hebrew, commandments, that word is dabar. Dabar never means command in the Old Testament. It never does. Dabar means a word, deed, or thing. So if you translate literally dabar, it means the, the ten things or the ten words. Similarly, um, in Greek, so in Greek, when the, the, the rabbis translated the Old Testament into Greek in the Septuagint, they, uh, they used the word decalogue, a very literal translation from the Hebrew, deca meaning ten, and log meaning word, logos, word, right? Word, thing. There's nothing in this, there's nothing in either the Greek or Hebrew that suggests command at all. The reason it gets translated that way is because it would be odd, it's weird for us, um, in English to hear the word word because to us that is just word or maybe like give you a good word like a like a speech perhaps but it doesn't have the same connotation that does in original languages in both Hebrew and in Greek um, the word logos and the word dabar has a, a sense of 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 um, principle or um, or a guideline something like that so Really, it would probably be better to translate the ten principles. Why does that matter? Well, when I was younger, I experienced the joys of being pulled over um, by police officers. Probably most famously, I was in a terrible band in high school. When I was 17 or 18, we were going out to um, Norco to record. And when we were coming back, we took the 241, the toll road. It was relatively new at the time. And really it's still, no one drives on it, but that particular day, it was totally empty. And I was in my uh, dad's 1992 Ford Mustang convertible 5.0. And my buddy Dan was with me and we were coming back and we were just like, man, we were feeling great about our, our rock music. Let, let's just do it. So, um, you know, that part on the 241 where it starts to go really downhill and it's kind of, and it's pretty straight. Okay. So, so I, I started, you know, let's just see what we can do here. This powerful machine, I'm in control of it. And, uh, yeah, started to accelerate, accelerate. I'm not going to tell you how fast I went. I will tell you that, um, if you go, is it, Lou, you'd know 30 miles over the speed limit. That's reckless. And you can go to jail for that. Yeah. Okay. Well, I was definitely over 30 miles over the speed limit. I whizzed right by the one CHP guy that was, had been sitting there desperate for a car. I looked in the rearview mirror. I looked at my, uh, my speedometer and I just, I almost, I just lost it. I was like, my life is over, over. So I pull over. Um, he comes, the, the officer comes up and he's like, uh, <laughs> You know, uh, need to see your license. And so I gave him my license. When I was 16, I was super lucky. I did a face for my license. I went like this. 
and they let me get away with it. It was really cool. I tried to do it again like 10 years later, but they're like, you can't do that. But so for, for, from 16 to 26, I had a, a silly face. So I look, I'm like, oh no. I'm weeping. I'm shuddering. I'm shaking with, with, and I, I hand it to the police officer. And uh, he goes, you think you're pretty funny, huh? I was like, no, sir, no, I'm not. I'm not funny. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm dead serious. I was like, so what we don't, what I didn't know, because my head was in my lap, um, was that my buddy Dan was watching the whole thing, super amused. He was like, ha, 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 sucks to be you. Uh, and then he noticed, he noticed that the police officer, when he was looking at the picture, started to chuckle a little bit. So he goes back, he comes back, and he, he says to me, listen, don't ever do that again. And he gave me like a 75 and a 65. And I didn't tell my parents about it until 10 years later. <laughs> uh, that's because I've broken a rule, a law, right? What happens when you break a rule or a law is you get a punishment. Like something bad happens to you. You get a fine. You go to jail. Um, all laws come with penalties for breaking them. Interestingly, if you look in the Old Testament, most, the vast majority, like if you go to Leviticus, Deuteronomy, all those places, they have laws and they explain what happens to you if you break the law. Not so with the 10 principles. Because the principles aren't laws or rules, they're principles. Principles are different than laws or rules. Principles are a, a, a characteristic or, or something that, that uh, identifies you. So, for example, I like to think that now, at the time I wasn't, but now I'm a safe driver. Okay, I've, a, a, the, I, I practice the principle of safe driving. Does that mean that I never go over the speed limit? No. But it does mean that I'm really trying to do well so that I don't get in an accident or hurt my kids. Similarly, you may not be, you may be an honest person. Doesn't mean you've never told a lie. It just means that honesty and integrity are something, are the principles that you live by. And that's what the Ten Commandments are. They're, it's, it, it is important to follow them, but it's more important to understand that they, that God is saying, you need to be identified with these principles. When people look at you, they should see it. And that's, so the first thing here, note sheet. The first thing is the Ten Commandments are not laws, they're principles. And that matters because principles are something that identify you, that characterize you. They aren't rules that you can break, although they can be. But then look at what God is trying to do with these principles. Okay, so this is right before he gives the Ten Commandments. He says, if you obey me fully, keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Everything in the earth is mine, but you will be for me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words, Moses, you should speak to the Israelites. So the purpose of the Ten Commandments is not to have a set of rules that we never break. Instead, it is to turn a community of people into a holy nation. Holiness. Holiness is problematic in English for us because we tend to associate holiness with what? Not breaking rules, right? Holy people are the people who are like, they, they don't drink, they don't smoke, they don't gamble, they don't dance. Uh, they wake up early in the morning, they do their devotions, they, they go to bed at a reasonable hour. They're, they're, they're very strict. And, and it's not just, it's not just us. I mean, in, in Islam, right? There's, there's, Islam is a very, very much of a, a rule based, and holiness in Islam is 
very strict adherence to the rules to the point that, I mean, speaking of Saudi Arabia, uh, we, you know, the, the hijab is, is, is there. I got a picture here. I mean, that, that is pretty strict. But when you see that, you're, you're, you're exposed to understand this is somebody who takes it seriously. And as a rule, as a result, follows the rules. But that's not what holiness is. Holiness, which literally means holy, literally means to be set apart. Holiness was is is, is setting up a community in a certain way so that it's different than everybody else. It's going to be characterized by things that nobody else is characterized by. It's not going to have to do, although it can have to do with your clothing. It's not going to have to do, it's have to do with your character. And the Ten Commandments are going to be the principles that make Israel different. Next thing you're note, and I want to be very strong here. Holiness is not rule following. Holiness is a community shaped by the Ten Principles. So how does, how does this work and how does this uh, connect to happiness? Well, I'm going to give you a preview because we're going to be on a series here. So we're going to see in each week how um, the holiness principle that's being given in the, the text is showing us um, it's how it's going to have an impact in our community. We're going to see it. And I'm, I'll give you a preview, a little taste right now. This is, um, this is the fifth commandment, I believe, um, and probably my favorite now at this point in my life. Exodus 20:12 Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land Yahweh your God is giving you. Um this is the first command I think that makes a promise afterwards, but it's it's honor your father and mother if you do that you may live long in the land. There's going to be this positive consequence. Now Let's just say that one kid Asher Asher decides, I'm going to honor my father and my mother. Okay? Is that, I mean, does that mean you're going to live a long life? I mean, maybe. Right? It's hard to see what the connection there is. Especially, let's just say Asher decides to honor his mom and dad, but, uh, but, but he lives in a community of people or lives with a bunch of friends who don't. They're disrespectful. They're naughty. Is that going to benefit Asher? Got a picture here of Doug. Uh, Doug's not here today. He's our worship leader. He's not here. He's with his dad shooting guns in San Diego. Uh, They do this trip every year. He's trying to get me to go, but it sounds a little bit too manly, so probably not going to do it, but maybe. You never know. Um, Did you know that during the pandemic, uh, so before the pandemic, uh, 5.4% of kids in America were homeschooled. That number has jumped to between 11 and 12 percent. Did you know that before the pandemic, uh, about what was it? Oh, trying to remember. I think it was eight uh, percent were in private school. That has doubled to 16 percent. Obviously, during the pandemic, a, a big issue was people parents wanted their kids to go to school when they were closed, and so homeschooling. And oh, did you know? By the way, the the biggest jump is in the black community. So in, before the pandemic, um, 3% of African-American families homeschooled. 
after the pandemic, that's jumped to 16.2%. That's crazy. Um, and the reason is because, you know, you want your kids to go to school. And then if you're doing the online schooling, you see what school is like. And you're like, these people don't share my values. The, the, what they're, they're doing a bad job teaching. I want to go to some place where people share the way I see the world. And for a lot of us, that's, you know, that's been like homeschool communities or private schools. But it wasn't just a response to the fact that kids couldn't go to school. It was also a sense of, wait a minute. Am I, are my kids being surrounded by people who think the way I think? Are their peers and their teachers believing the things that I believe? You see, honor your father and your mother, that's great for one person to do, but it only really works when an entire community does it. It's a principle that we instill here that you are to honor your father and mother. Sometimes they don't deserve it. It's true. But you're going to respect them. And it turns out that if you have a community of people who respect their elders and they do what their parents say and their peers do the same thing, they grow up together and it turns out they, they thrive Kids need structure and boundaries when they have them and that those impact their lives. They end up on a different path than those who don't. Imagine if you had an entire culture, an entire nation, where kids honored their parents. That nation would stand out, would be set apart. Imagine you had a community like this one, where the kids honor their parents. This community stands out. It's different. It's marked by God. I have a quote here. These ten principles do limit our freedom. In some cases, we might be made unhappy by living within their limits. It's true. There are times where we want to covet. There are times where we want to commit adultery. There are times that we want to lie. But there is a supreme irony. The life that is truly happy, thriving, and fulfilling human destiny and potential can only be lived within a community shaped by these principles. If everybody's living basically according to this way of seeing the world, human life is going to thrive. It's going to flourish. They lay the groundwork for a family, village, town, city, state, or nation to work peaceably and productively for human beings to thrive. This is a quote from my next book. Please buy 50 copies. See, when, so so uh, when, when my, uh, I have a sermon, part, a sermon writing partner, Mike, he, uh, he preaches at uh, Mercy Road in, in Minnesota. And he was, like, he was like, we need to use this quote. So in his church, it says, it says by Dr. Tom Bennett. But I thought that would be super pretentious. So I was like, but I, th- I like the quote, though. I think, I, think it's, I think it's really good. And I think it's accurate. It's true. It's real. Happiness cannot exist without holiness. Holiness sets the groundwork, makes happiness possible. Holiness makes happiness possible. And you will never have it without the holiness piece. Why are Americans so miserable? Because we've stopped being holy. We've stopped being set apart. We don't live according to these principles anymore. 
And we're shocked, shocked to find out that as hard as we try to become happy, it doesn't work. Because we've separated ourselves from our God-designed potential and destiny. Like the very thing, God's like, this is what a human community ought to be like. Live by these principles. We're like, nah, we, we, gotta, we, we can do better. Last thing on your note sheets. What if happy, the happiness we long for is only possible through the holiness we resist? What if our problem, because we all want to be happy. I, I do. I'm not against being happy. I'm, for those of you who do the Enneagram, I'm a seven. Sevens on the Enneagram only want to be happy all the time and never suffer. So I super hate any kind of pain, personal discipline. Like, it's just, ugh. And just you don't get it. You're, you're, it's awesome for you. But for me, it's like, ah. So when I talk about, like, this is right talking to me. I want to be happy. But what if that can't happen if I'm not holy first? So let's, we're just setting the stage. We've got this, we're going to have plenty of time in the series to pick apart and get deep into the principles of holiness. Um, but before we do that, let's just, let's just have a little gut check here. A little gut check. So this is the holiness 101. Do you know the 10 principles do your kids? I say that because I have a PhD and I don't think I can get through it. I don't think I can tell you off the top of my head what the 10 principles are. I might be able to figure it out, like, if I just kind of, but it's, for someone who's grew up memorizing the Bible, going to Awana, do all those things, I have a lot of study, and I still, if you ask me, I couldn't just, how is it then that I'm going to know how to live a holy life? To say nothing of my kids, I don't think they have a clue. I know I've hammered honor your father or your mother, that, that one they're solid on. But the rest, who knows? Uh, number two. Is your community, church, etc. shaped by the ten principles? Are the people that you hang out with shaped by the ten principles? Youths, youths, youths. This is critical for you. You will become who you spend your, spend time with. If the people that you're spending time with are not shaped by the God's vision for holiness, you will end up not being holy. You will be miserable. You will join the full quarter of Americans who say that their life is horrible. Number three, last. Would it help? Sometimes we got to get like super practical. Would it not help to have a visible reminder around the home? Just a little reminder. I'm not being like legalistic or like rules and, but, but maybe, maybe it wouldn't be a bad thing, especially while we're doing the series, while we're, you know, going deep onto each of the, the principles. Wouldn't it be a maybe a helpful thing to just be reminded, oh wait, this is the type of person I'm supposed to be. This is what integrity looks like. This is what being set apart and looks like. This is what it looks like to live a a life that is shaped the way God designed human lives to be shaped. Because here's the reality. You're not going to see it. You're not going to see these Ten Commandments at the courthouse. You're not going to see them at your school. You're not going to see them anywhere. I'd like to invite the uh, worship team to come up as we uh, get ready to close.
This has to be a community of resistance, okay? The culture around us is, is moving, is very much trying to avoid, to get away from the 10 principles, to get away from holiness. The devastation that's taking on our children and our families is horrifying. And so what we have to be is a community of resistance. And that means that we have to be saturated in holiness. This doesn't mean following all the right rules. It doesn't mean rule following. Holiness is not rule following. But it does mean that if we're going to live the life that's thriving, if we're going to live a life that flourishes, we're going to have to be shaped by these words, these principles. And maybe we need a big reminder. And maybe we need to go and just print out a sheet and stick it on the refrigerator. And as we go through this series and as we see what happens when a community lives by these principles, maybe those, those words are going to jump out in a way they never have before. And maybe we as a community can reinvest in holiness. And maybe we'll finally find the happiness we've been looking for. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, we thank you for giving us a roadmap, principles of life. God, may we be soaked in them. May we be saturated in knowing what it means to be set apart for you. And, and, may, when, and may as we live the way you've called us to live, may we have the joy and the flourishing, the thriving that we're so desperate for. May we have the, the peace and the joy, the shalom that, that you want for us. And may the world look and be desperate to have what we have. May we be a mission simply by being holy. May we love you and each other more. In Jesus' name, amen.